Okay, I'm sure it is the case, positive it's the case, that everyone in the room, one extent or the other, has taken a trip at one point in their life. Everyone in here has travelled at some stage, one extent or the other. So because of that, I'm pretty sure we all know about the preparations that have to go in to any sort of journey. Don't we? Preparations for a holiday journey, preparations for a trip. When you're a child, it's all about the toys, isn't it? I remember that, boys and girls. The horribly difficult decision of which toy to take on holiday. But when we grow up, it becomes a little bit more mundane for us, does it not? And perhaps you're organized. Perhaps you have a tick list of things to get yourself organized for a trip. Sunglasses to make you look cool on holiday. Tick. Um, headphones to drown out the screaming children on a plane. Tick. You know, that weird neck pillow that some people like to travel with. We all know about preparations, don't we, for a journey. Well, if you have been here for this sermon series at all, you know that that's the sort of thing that we've actually been studying thus far in the book of Numbers. Isn't that right? In the early chapters of Numbers, the people of God are camped at Mount Sinai, and they are about to travel all the way to the Promised Land. But what are they doing in these early chapters? They are preparing for departure. And isn't it the case that they also have a tick list? Isn't it? For their journey, we need, what do we need for this journey? We need an army. Tick. Chapter 1. We need an order of travel. Tick. Chapter 2. We need Levites to carry this uh, tabernacle. Tick. Chapter 3. You see it? Do you not? It is preparations for departure. Well, what we find in this short section that we're looking at this morning is, yes, you could argue it's some of the same stuff because it's still about preparing to depart. But I want you to understand that the focus shifts ever so slightly as we move into Numbers chapter 5 because from the organization of the people, we are now to think about the rules. We are now to think about the laws that the people must obey as they journey forth to Canaan. And I'm going to say this and chuck it out here to start with. I think this is surprising. Like, I, I think what will happen this morning is that actually in this portion of Scripture that we'll be confronted with the essential elements of Christianity, the very bottom line of Christianity. Isn't that unusual from this portion of Scripture that we've read in Numbers 5? I think in this short section, God will show us something of the good news, the good news of how we can be reconciled effectively and eternally to a most holy God. So, first thing I want to ask you to do is to turn with me to Numbers chapter 5 to make sure you've got it in front of you. So, I'll give you the page number again. So, it's page 112 if you're using the church Bible. So, it's 112 and it's Numbers chapter 5. And the first thing that we're going to consider or linger on just now is actually what we'll call the perfection of God. So, we see that in Numbers chapter 5, don't we? The Think about that with just for a moment. The perfection of God. The perfection of God. We see that here. All right. Okay. The, the, I guess the obvious place for me to begin is by affirming, asserting that this morning what we have to think about is the a theme of exclusion. That's what we think about. In fact, you can see that. Can you not? That in Numbers chapter 5, what we've got are three groups of people 
Did you notice that? There's three groups of people who are to be, uh, they're to be sent out of this camp. They are to travel alone. So there's three groups of people that have to kind of try and exist in isolation away from everyone else. So what do you think we've got to do with that? I guess what we've got to do is try and work out who exactly these people are. Would you agree with that? So do this with me, everyone. If you look at verse 2, let's just try and pinpoint exactly the three groups. Help the children with it as well so that they can follow this, please. So verse 2, we've got three groups. Do you see them? So the first group, the ESV calls leprous which isn't actually as straightforward as we might like it to be, because we think, what do we think about with leprous? We think, see, immediately, don't we? Or we think about what we call today Hansen's disease. But that there is a bit broader, it's a bit wider. Uh, so the idea here is anyone who is suffering from any serious kind of skin complaint, any skin disease, psoriasis, whatever it might be, those people have to be put out of the camp to exist and travel alone. Okay, so that's the first one, right? It doesn't, doesn't get any, any easier from there, because look at the second one with me. Do you see what it is? You all wanted to come to church this morning to hear me talk to you about discharge, didn't you? You did. I'm sure you did. You get the idea, though. I hope that we've got this idea of people who... Uh, because they are suffering with discharge from their sexual organs, and that whether that's by disease or whether it's even just through cycle, those people are also to be sent out of the camp. Okay? Moving swiftly on. Do you see what the third one is? So we've got skin disease. We've got discharge. What's the third one? Third one is those who are in contact with the dead. Thankfully, that is a little bit more straightforward there. So you get the idea. So if you're in the camp in Israel and somebody dies in your tent or somebody dies in your neighbor's tent and you are involved in the removal of that body, what has to happen to you? You also have to be kicked out of this camp for a set period of time. So we're all on the same page. We get it. What is it? Skin disease, discharge, contact with the dead out of the camp. What are you thinking right now? Maybe you're thinking this is a little bit odd this morning, are you? After all, none of us are going to get kicked out of London because of our eczema or dandruff or so forth, okay? So we're thinking this is a little bit strange. Where would we go next then? If we know who, where would we go? Why? Let me turn that to you just for a second. Engage with me on it. Why do you think God issues this command? Why are these people to be sent out of camp? Like, I wonder if you would go along with quite a lot of modern scholarship on this. So you follow me here. A lot of scholarship would say it is God protecting his people. I think that through. You can see it, can you? We know that this is a very tight-knit camp, all these tents facing the tent the tabernacle, don't we? And we know that they're sitting out in the Middle Eastern sun. So come on, people. You know, skin disease, sexually transmitted disease, corpses in the heat. You see what? The commentators are saying, they're saying this is God, by sending them away, God's preventing harm, protecting the people from harm. Do you see that idea at least? Can I ask, do you agree with that? Is that why this is happening? Can I say to you, that is not why God is sending these people out. Have a look at verse 3. God tells you why he's doing this. What does God say? Send these people out that they may... Not defile their camp. Next bit is the critical part. Look, that they might not defile the camp in the midst of where I dwell. Face, do you see what's going on here? Like, why are these three groups of people to be sent out? 
is to ensure what? Is to ensure God's abiding presence with his people. Isn't that why they're being sent away? They're being sent out so that God can continue to travel with his people as they journey on. You can see it, can you not? Friends, such is the holiness of God. This reality that incorporates both his separateness, his uniqueness to us, but also his utter moral perfection, such as his holiness, that should there be any uncleanness in the camp, what happens? Any uncleanness, not only will that endanger everyone, but that uncleanness will force God to withdraw, to remove himself from the camp, to abandon his people. Something such as God's covenant commitment to Israel he simply will not allow to occur. You see it, don't you? God is holy. These people have to be removed. Now, if you're visiting us, maybe for the first time this morning, maybe you know that we are uh, what is called a Reformed congregation. We believe in Reformed theology and Reformed tradition. You know that about us. What does that mean for us? It means a lot of things. But it means that we are supposed to be a people who thoroughly appreciate the intense burning holiness of the God that we stand before today. And I I wonder if you would agree with your minister on this, that we are perhaps in danger of overlooking God's holiness in so many areas of our life. Isn't that right? Just take this. Just take worship as one example. Who amongst us came to church this morning really thinking through the utter moral perfection of God, the holiness of God that we were about to approach? Who of us really did that, prayed it through? And then, isn't it true that we're in danger of overlooking God's holiness in the way that we live in our Christian walk? Wouldn't you agree with that? Isn't it true that we would fight our sin with so much more vigor if we even began to appreciate just how holy our God is? Isn't that right? This is where I'm going, though. I think perhaps supremely, primarily, we're in danger of overlooking God's holiness when it comes to the witness and the evangelism of the church. Surely you see what I mean. I'll ask you this. Where is it we normally begin when we're trying to share the gospel with other people? Friends, what's true of you? Where do we normally start in our gospel witness? Isn't this true that so many gospel presentations, they begin with us and our sinfulness? Isn't that so often where we begin? Let me just give you an example of that. So when I became a Christian, which is getting on for 20 years ago, um, I had a best friend at the time, and we, you know, usual story, young Scottish boys getting into trouble all the time. We're very, very, very close. And I became a Christian, and this guy knew immediately something had happened in my life, and he began to ask about it, and I began to tell him, but I began here. I began with sin. Can you imagine it? So I'm sitting with him, and I'm saying, I realize that not everything is right in my heart. And I realize there is a problem. I I realize that I'm a sinner. And I will never forget what he said. Because I think it sums up so much of the attitudes to the world if we begin with sin. Do you know what he said to me? He said, so what? Andy, so what? Some immorality? Drunkenness? 
deceit and that you're not a murderer. You're not a rapist. So what? Like if God exists and if God is good, surely he will overlook such indiscretion. So what if you're a sinner? Do you see the problem? Friends, do you? Unless people begin to appreciate who God really is. Unless people out there appreciate that God is actually the God of number chapter 5. Unless people begin to realize God is a God that is so holy, he can tolerate no uncleanness at all. Unless people realize that, they will never comprehend their sin. They will never begin to understand their need. Do you see what is brought before us this morning? Do you see what is here? Ours is a God who is holy, holy, holy. We see in Numbers 5, the perfection of God. Second thing, as we move in here, we see the predicament of humanity. So if we look to God and see his perfection, he tolerates no uncleanness in the camp. Second of all, we see the predicament of humanity. Now, I've, I've mentioned to you uh, a number of times before that uh, I love when sermons work together. I love it when sermons dovetail and just fit beautifully together. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, do you? You know, you have a preacher in the morning and the preacher preaches a specific text. And then without any collaboration and working together, and another preacher comes along in the evening, preach a different text, but those two sermons, those two texts, they just fit beautifully. They fit together. They dovetail. You like that? I love that. I love it so much. And I think as we move on in numbers and think about application here, what we could do is just marvel at how that's happening right now at London City Presbyterian Church. Because for those who have been in the services... What has Reverend Perkins been preaching on on a Sunday night? Can you remember? What's the theme been recently? It's been church discipline. That nice, easy, fluffy theme of church discipline. I wonder if you see the connection and the parallel with this. That just as in Numbers chapter 5, the New Testament church must not in any way harbor uncleanness. Isn't that it? Just as in Numbers chapter 5, what are we called to do? Like here, we are called to expel the immoral, the unclean brother. If we had more time, then we could look at that. But instead, I want to be mean, and I want to be really nasty, and I want to set a test for you as a congregation this morning. So here's what I, I want the boys and girls to work on this as well. Okay, so here's the test for us all. Uh, what I want you to do is to pr- call to mind the three groups of uncleanness. Can you remember what they were? I won't test the children. That would be a bit cruel this morning, wouldn't it? Um, what are they? Skin disease? Discharge. We're not going to forget that. And contact with a corpse. Okay, so here's the test for you. Do not shout out if you get the answer correct. Just hold it. What is it that those three conditions, those three situations? I say them again. Skin disease, discharge, contact with with a corpse. Do you get it? I'll make it easier. I'll rephrase it. I wonder, Christian friend, Do you see that those three conditions are linked by the theme 
of death. Take them in the reverse order. Contact with a corpse. Everybody, that's abundantly clear that that's about death. What's the middle one? Discharge. Do you see that it's about death? The loss of blood, the loss of semen, the loss of what are symbols of love. Do you see that this discharge is also a symbol of death? And wait a second here. What was the first one? Skin disease. This portrayal to us, this picture of decay and deterioration. Do you see? All of these things are about death. And if you see that, surely that answers the question that you've all had since the beginning of this sermon. Surely everyone who's engaged in this has been asking this question. Why, God, those three conditions? Why these three? Why not other things? Why these three? Do you see the answer now? It's because death revolts our God. Death is revolting. It is revolting to God. Death is so closely linked to sin, so much a manifestation of sin. What is death but the wages of sin? Do you see now God has to have shot of these things? They must be out there linked to sin away with these matters. Now I have said repeatedly to you that through this sermon series, you and I must hold close to our heart what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Do you remember what Paul says? Paul says that this stuff, we're reading that numbers, is not weird. He doesn't say that it's strange. What does Paul say? Paul says that these things are written for your instruction. Numbers 5, written for our instruction. And as you think about that, as you hold it in your mind, and as you turn to Numbers chapter 5, do you not agree with me that we are confronted, therefore, with one of the most solemn and serious truths that anyone will ever know or hear? The fact that just like these people in Numbers chapter 5, because of our rebellion against God, what do we possess? What does Romans 7 say we possess? We, like these people, possess a body of death. Friend, are you thinking that sin is about your actions merely or your words? Are you thinking your sin is about your works and that alone? Your predicament is much, much worse than that. We are sinful by our very nature. We have inherited a body of decay, a body of deterioration. What does Paul go on to say? We are dead. In our trespasses and sins. Our souls are dead. All the people walking this earth this morning outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. What are they? But they are the walking dead. They are dead men walking. And if you are in this room this morning and you are not a Christian. Then surely that makes you think. Surely that takes your breath away. But do you not see what God is doing? Like this morning, you might have thought this is very unusual that God would take you into this church on a Sunday when we're looking at Numbers chapter 5. And you might be thinking, sitting there, someone who is not a Christian, thinking this is the strangest thing in the world. But do you not see what God is doing? This morning, he holds up before you a mirror. Isn't that what's happening in Numbers chapter 5? Because if you are not a Christian, who is it you see in these people being sent out of the camp? Who are these People, these symbols of death being excluded from the presence of God. Who do you see? 
but yourself. In Numbers chapter 5, we are shown the predicament of all those who are outside of Christ by the rebellion, by their sin. Friend, listen to me. You, if you're not a Christian, you today are excluded from the presence of a holy God. So we see the perfection of God and we see the predicament of humanity. But then thirdly and finally, we see the provision of salvation from Numbers chapter 5. So you see the flow of it, the perfection of God, then the predicament of mankind or humanity, and then lastly, the provision of uh, salvation. Um, I wonder if you remember how we begun this sermon. Do you remember what I said right at the beginning of this sermon? I said, surprisingly perhaps, that we would be confronted with the good news uh, this morning in a short portion of scripture like this. I wonder if you're not a Christian, I wonder if you look at the people here as being a people with good news. Maybe you don't see that, do you? After all, our praise, you know, can seem, sometimes it can seem a little bit solemn, somber, can't it? And I've just unpacked some pretty serious stuff about our standing before God. So is it, I mean, London City Presbyterian Church, are we actually with good news? And if we are, what is that good news? Well, if you're not a Christian friend, I, I, I long for you not to make a very common mistake So many people assume that the bottom line of Christianity is about how we live. You can see that idea, can you? We hear it all the time. It's the way that it is portrayed as though the good news to be reconciled with God is if we pull our socks up and we turn over a new leaf. And it may be the case this morning that that's exactly what you have thought of Christianity. I wonder, is it? Like, are you somebody who, yes, understands that you're a sinner, You believe fully that God is a holy God and that you are not holy. But you're thinking the answer to this is to mix with people here. Is that what you think the answer is? To align yourself to a church and try and break some of the terrible habits that would make other people in here blush? Is that what you think? Oh, I long for you to hear this. That's not the good news. That's got nothing to do with the good news. I desperately want you to hear this morning that the good news of the gospel revolves around one individual, one person, the good news of the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. And to underline that, I want to show you something so wonderful, so amazing. I'm going to ask you to do this with me because we're going to close with us. So I'm sure you won't mind doing this. Would you rush forward in your Bible, pick up your Bible, rush forward to Luke chapter 5 and verse 13. And being the kind and loving and gracious Scotsman that I am, I'll even give you the page number. It's 861, 861, Luke 5, verse 13. Let's get there as quick as we can and stay there. Stay in Luke 5, verse 13. Do you see it? Do you see it? What happens here in Luke 5, 13? Who does Jesus meet? He meets a guy with a skin disease. He meets a guy with a leper. And what does the Lord Jesus Christ do to this unclean person? He heals him. But how? Do you see it in verse 13? He touches this man, this thoroughly unclean person. Right now, that's great. Think of it. Jesus heals somebody who's unclean. It gets better. Because flick over a couple of pages to Luke 8, verse 43. Luke 8, 43. 
Who does Jesus encounter next? We've had somebody with a skin disease. Do you see? Luke 8, 43. Jesus now encounters a woman with a discharge of blood. And do you see that she is restored and she is healed? And look how it happens. Do you see it in the verse? She touches Jesus. Again, there is this personal encounter with the Lord himself. And that's marvelous. You can see it though, can't you? There's a skin disease. There's discharge. Now you look at verse 54. Look at 8.54. You see, you know what's coming. Jesus encounters even a corpse. And how is this dead child, Jairus' daughter, brought back to life. What does Jesus do? Do you see it? He takes her by the hand. Surely you see the message. Even the most unclean of people, the most exiled of people can be brought into the kingdom of God. How? Only if they have a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet there is a question that remains, isn't there? Because if you are unbelieving this morning, you say, how? Why? And what is so special about the Lord Jesus Christ that it's all this good news revolves around him. And my job there is so utterly easy. Because all I have to do is ask you to remember the first reading we had this morning in Luke 23. You say to me, what is so special about Jesus? What has the Lord Jesus Christ done? And I say back to you, yes, yes, because he's conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. That the Lord Jesus Christ does not possess a body of death and decay. That yes, this has enabled him to live a perfect and righteous life in our place. But how has he dealt with our corruption, friends? How has the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with our sin? Do you remember the first reading? Would you listen to my words? What has Christ done for his people? He has experienced Numbers chapter 5 for you. Do you see it? In the first reading, the Lord Jesus Christ was led outside of Jerusalem. Or Hebrews chapter 13, what does it declare for us? That the Lord Jesus Christ for us was sent outside of the camp. And what did he do there on that cross? Did he just endure some of the Father's wrath at his people's sin? No, you get it, don't you? That on that cross, in that darkness, for his people... The Lord Jesus Christ endured full exclusion from his Father's presence. Why, why, why? All that we might live. The Lord Jesus Christ doing that to bring life to our bodies of death, deterioration, and decay. If you are a believer, a child of God this morning... Do you not see what good news we have to herald to this world? We have a holy God, and though we are sinners, he has provided a way back into his presence. But if you're not a Christian, listen to me as I end with this. What we hear in Matthew chapter 25 is some of the most serious stuff in all of the Bible. In Matthew 25, Jesus speaks of a day of judgment. And Jesus tells us that that will be the day when all of humanity is split into two groups on the day of judgment. There will be those who are sheep and those who are goats and none other. And I want you to hear this. If you are found on that day not to have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ in this life, do you know what will happen to you on that day of judgment? 
if you are found to have been unbelieving, you then will know the full reality of exclusion from God. On that day, you will be sent out of the camp and sent out forevermore. You do not want that to happen. So today you come to Christ, do you not? You even now in the silence that usually follows the service, you pray and you plead for forgiveness. You have that personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And know the cleansing that comes. Know the forgiveness that comes. Know, best of all, know the reconciliation with a holy God that can only come through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And says, bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, these verses in Numbers chapter 5. We read them and forgive us for our initial reaction. We we struggle. They seem strange verses. We wonder why would it be that these people are sent away? Is it not cruel? And then we realize your grace to us, that you are instructing us, Lord God, not to have uncleanness in our lives or in our churches, but you are pointing us ultimately to what can happen outside of Christ, that there is an outer darkness, that there is a hell. And so we thank you most of all for what Christ has done, that he has endured that, that we might live. And Lord God, we, we praise you, we worship you, and we do so in Christ's matchless name. Amen.